You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast, and thanks for joining us. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick, and today we have Alexis Hershey with us. So quick bio, but you can fill in the details, because you'll be much better than at that than me. I wrote down here, impressive professional and volunteer record that you're the chief digital officer at Midwest Bank Center. And you also do some things on the side, uh, on boards, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, but also another thing which I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time on today because, wow, where if only I had known this however many decades ago, helping women, people of color, anybody really disadvantaged in their salary negotiations and helping bridge that wage gap. So I'm gonna stop talking and let you tell us what do you do? So um, I work for Midwest Bank Center, which is a community bank. And a little bit about how I got there was I was working at Citibank for about 17 years. I'm very active with United Way. And the CEO of United Way is Orv Kimbrough. He pivoted from being CEO of United Way to be CEO of Midwest Bank Center. So as soon as he took that role, I called him up and I said, if you need somebody to run digital, I'd love to do that with you. So there's a huge difference between working for an international company in a very small community bank. Um, so what I do looks very different in this role than what I did four years ago. What, what does, when you say, if you need somebody to do digital, what does that mean? I mean, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking phones, I'm thinking computers, I'm thinking, but there's social media, but that may be an advertisement. Right. Some of that may apply to what you do. Some of it may be a totally different stream. Uh, that's my out of my skill set of what that is. So when you say do digital, what does that mean? But that's and that's true of our whole industry in terms of digital. So any digital role can be have many interpretations. And so what it looks like for me today is we turn on and maintain systems. So any system that our employee uses, any system our customers interface with, my team is either turning on new functionality for that and also what we call keep the lights on. So making sure it works. Oh man, stress, <laughs> I imagine. Like even just having to test systems to make sure to find what's broken and fix it. And you're talking about the banking system, uh, exactly. clients, employees, all of that. I imagine a big ball of intertwined st- stress in what you do. Lots, and, and so we have so many systems to make sure. So even though we started four years ago very paper-based and we're, what we're trying to do is digitize everything after the handshake. So as soon as we're very relationship-based, so how can we help our customers transact with us digitally? Um, our newest thing that we're launching in just a week is what's called an ITM. So that's a video screen where you go to the ATM, but if you need additional help, like what you would do in a bank, then my team will be on video to help you. Like and, live? Uh-huh. Or, wow. Yeah, so that's super exciting. So, that, I mean, yes, it's stressful, but it's, how can we continue to to bring new technology to our customers is what's energizing. Now, did I see at one point you were a teacher? I did. That there yeah. was a pivot from yeah. being a teacher to again maybe before we even jump to that. I mean, you were at City, you talked mm-hmm. about for how many years plus for then Midwest Bank Center. Yeah. I imagine digital back then. Yeah. Very different than digital today. Right. What it what is that like? So one of my favorite quotes about about technology is technology's never moved this fast is what we're experiencing right now, but it will never move this slow again. And so when you're trying to get your arms around AI and all of these changes that are happening that we see even in our kids, like how are how are our kids using technology different? How is that different from five years ago? And if it's moving in a faster clip in three years, what is banking going to look like? It's it's hard to plan for that f- pace of change, um, and really, you know, we're just plug in with experts 
that are helping us rather than trying to be the developer of every of all of this we rely heavily on our experts in the space and as i joke both having started out as in public accounting so forever in my life being in the financial world we're one of the last industries to embrace and enact change absolutely for a good reason right i mean right. we have people's financial companies secure information we want other people to work out the bugs before we Play Absolutely. It. And I, I mean, every financial industry, I mean, that that's the reality. But then you also have these financial tech companies, they're known as fintechs that are disrupting this space. And so they can be a real threat in certain tranches. And then it's how do you partner best with those fintechs that can help you? For example, we've got a wonderful vendor, we can open a deposit account in three minutes online, whether and then small business and commercial is coming next month. So any type of client can open a deposit account with us without having to come into the branch. Um, so we're, we're excited about that, but lots of change. Right, right. So what what's most exciting about what you do or your path to being the in digital to do digital? Yeah, so my favorite part of my job is the team that I get to lead. So we've got, you know, the customer engagement center and um, turning on digital products and so forth and maintaining. So I have a team of 19 people, um, 18 of them are women, and I get to mentor and help them grow professionally. Our bank invests in our employees, unlike any other company I've, I've interacted with. And it's wonderful to, to be able to meet individually with all of them and say, what do you want to do? What are you doing today? What are your strengths? Let's identify what brings you joy in your day. One of my favorite questions to ask is, how are your wings clipped? So think about your day. What's clipping your wings? Because what clips my wings is going to be different than what clips somebody else's. And so how can I take those pieces of what brings people joy, what clips their wings? And so those things where their wings are clipped, how can somebody else on the team pick that up because that would bring them joy. And so that's my favorite part of, we, we have work to do, how can we divide it and conquer it with the strengths of the team? I, it's funny, we, we record two of these a day. And just this morning, we were talking about somebody who works in uh, change management and goes into oh, companies yeah. and talks about, and we talked about the teams where you don't want the same person on your team, you want a variety to be able to bring right. more and raise more. I'm curious, uh, your your question there is an amazing question. How are your wings clipped? Uh, and, and my first reaction was, wow, what a what an uplifting energy and just my my whole body posture, everything got happy. Some of the new people that come on your team, what are their reactions when you first ask that? Are they shocked? Are they, I mean, I could just imagine that's it, it's a little bit uh, unexpected. Well, I think that people don't take time when you're working so hard, you don't take time to analyze what you're doing and how does, does it bring you joy. But over time, you can get burned out or you can get frustrated with what you're doing and you don't even take the time. So it's taking that breath. So one of the tactics I tell people is put together a spreadsheet, list out, just track what you're doing, almost like when you're tracking calories for a diet. Track what you're doing and just indicate joy or no. Joy, yes or no, joy. And then put that together. Like I said, my favorite thing is the coaching I get to do with on my team. So I make sure I have my one-on-ones with my employees. That's priority one. And so it's not necessarily the new people to the company. It might be the new people to my organization, for example, who haven't even thought that way for 20 right. years. And so how how do you meet them where they are? When you talked about change management, it that's the hardest part of our job because rel it's relatively <laughs> straightforward to turn on a system. So I can bring um, a Salesforce system to the organization and I can predictably plan that out and turn on the system, but it's getting people to use the system. It's getting people to think about their processes and change their processes. So whether it's in my own organization or whether it's across the, the entire bank, that's where the hard work goes. And it's less about the digital building a system and it's more about probably figuring out 
not what's only needed today, but what might be needed in six months, a year, 18 months, and then working on building that, but getting all the people on board to use it. Right, because they their process works just fine. <laughs> like it really does, but we wanna grow. And so in order to grow, we have to change our process. And so I, you know, I think I have a secret bullet. Um, I've been hiring technical project managers for years. And I, that's one of the biggest changes for me is the type of employee that I needed to be successful at Citibank was different than the type of employee I needed to be successful at Midwest Bank Center. So learning that. So I hired a brand new project manager who was a social worker. She had her master's in social work. So she knows how to meet people where they are. And she's got her PMP, which is the highest level of project management. We invested in that for her. And so she's got the skill set of being a project manager, but also those soft skills of being a social worker to meet people and say, hey, I know this is hard. And so that's, that's been our secret sauce. When you were sitting here, I never would have thought you have said a social worker. I know. How did that happen? Well, through Focus St. Louis. So Focus St. Louis, um, they have a women in leadership program that is so I've done coursework all through my PhD. The Women in Leadership program was the best educational experience I've had in my whole life. Wow. So it was a, a less than a semester. It was in the midst of COVID, so we were all virtual. And, um, and so I met this woman. The instant I met her, I was like, I want her on my team. Because she took charge of the meeting, she followed through, like, it, I'm used to having to do that. And so she came into the into the meeting and was just like, this is how we're going to do it. And I'm like, I want her to work for me. And now, and she thought the same thing. So we were like, we're putting it out to the universe. You're going to work for me. And and it eventually came to fruition. Who, who approached, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of the setting here, the picture, right? So you're in yeah. these virtual meetings. Who approached whom first? How did it even come up? I think it came organically from both of us. Like, it just... Yes, I want I want you to work for me. Well, and, and something you mentioned earlier, I'm sure my husband's in the corner recording this. He's probably like, she better not forget to ask about this. You said of the 19 people on your team, 18 are women. Yeah. I was, I was also not expecting that. I mean, and my brain's going in a million different directions. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking technology, probably right. more heavily men. Maybe not, though. Maybe my perception's wrong. Um, is it who's attracted to you is it who you're looking for like how did that of 19 people how is it 18 what happened well our bank um the majority of our employees are women in our bank and so we promote from within but i've also hired externally and um so i recently with getting the promotion of to chief digital officer i um, got expanded responsibilities and so the customer engagement center team that team is a team of women. Some of the people I've hired are women. So it just kind of came together organically and then also looking to hire, um, you know, based on people that I think are gonna be the right fit for the work that we're doing. Right, so just qualified people. So if anybody's listening, sometimes I feel like I have to play the other side of this. It wasn't intentional, it just happened. It's not anti-male. <laughs> no, no, in <laughs> fact, I feel like I need some more diversity. <laughs> Do you think, I'm curious, uh, we've had other women on who've said, I'm really comfortable. I've only always worked in a group of men. And the first time I was in a group of women, I was scared and nervous and didn't know what to do. Are there any different challenges? Or uh, this morning we talked about it should be irrelevant, but things are things. Right. Are there any different challenges with having or things you've seen or have you had to adapt yourself in leading mostly female group? I, I think the biggest thing is how do I make sure the male on the team doesn't feel like a minority, right? Like, how do I make sure that the way that I lead, which is very different than traditional leadership, that I'm not making him uncomfortable? So how can I meet him where he is and then help him um, make sure that I am being um, dynamic in that leadership style and not just imposing a certain way? Now you said your leadership is not like the traditional leadership, and we've already talked about one way. You know, how are your wings clipped in finding that joy? 
are there other ways that you like define traditional leadership versus yours? How is it different? And how did where did you learn it? Maybe it's the Focus St. Louis. But I asked too many questions. First of all, how how is your leadership different than traditional? Well, so I think because of my background in teaching. So in my mm. soul, I'm a teacher. And so I want to make sure that every individual on my team is living their best life, not just work life, but how can I help them optimize and bring their best version of themselves? And so that framework, that philosophy that I've, you know, I've got a little posted at my desk that kind of, it's my North Star. So that, that philosophy, um, bringing that philosophy into play that I genuinely care. So like if I have somebody on my team that says, hey, I can go work for Square and make $50,000 more a year, the the right thing to do by Midwest Bank Center is to figure out how to keep them at Midwest Bank Center. But what I do is I say, okay, what's best for you and how can I help you get that path? And if that path is at Midwest Bank Center, I'm gonna do everything I can to do that. But sometimes that's not what's best for that individual. And so that that customized, individualized, I mean, it's what I was doing in the classroom 25 years ago. Who, okay, gotta go there. Classroom 25 years ago, what did you teach? What ages? Huh? Yeah. What teacher were you? So I was. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I taught second grade and fourth grade. Then um, got my master's in educational leadership. So that's where the leadership principles come in. But I was 24. Nobody was going to hire a principal at age 24. My parents relocated to the Midwest. And I said, okay, I, I was looking at grad school. So I was going to go to University of Texas because we were in Houston. And my parents moved to St. Louis. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to be close to my family. So I went to University of Illinois to buy time to be a school principal. Then I had my son. And he almost died at childbirth. And I was like, I can't go back and be in a school. It's too, like, you, you, you're, it's too rigid. So in the business world, you get lots of vacation that you can take when you need. And I was like, I'm going to pivot. Um, my son's dad went from being in education to working at RGA and training 25 years ago, or 20, since Blake was born, so 23 years ago. And so then I saw the path to business was from teacher to training. And this was before there were digital teams. So in my in my PhD work, I ran I did the website for University of Illinois, their College of Ed. I, I did the HTML. Um, it was very simple then. And um, and so I knew I always loved digital. But so training, I trained everybody in a certain division of city. And then that led to a marketing and slash digital role and then when we spun up the digital team in at city for the mortgage division they put me on that so it was it was a wonderful i tell everybody that your career path many people think oh it's point a to point b to point z and it's this linear thing but everybody's career path when they've had a long career it's the zigzags that are so exciting um that are unpredictable I was, I'll be honest, I'm like, yeah, I'm listening to your story. It's like, that's so great. And then you're like, my son almost died. Or and I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, like, what a, I'm sure life altering, shaking. It was. I'm, yeah. if, if that hadn't happened, right? What would, have, what, what would my path have been? Right, yeah, right. And he's, sure. but he's 23 or somewhere around there, 25. He's almost 25. He's doing yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. He's thriving. Good, good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's that whether you mentally or emotionally, that internal need to make a change, but there might be an external factor right. that you say, okay, I had this plan for forever. And I know I've, <laughs> I've been there on multiple occasions. Right. And, and I almost, in some instances, tried to force it too long to work. And I was so unhappy. And if I just listened to what life whispering at me versus shaking me later, right. you know, anyway, at the end of the day, I'm where I should be. But you're right there with the linear path. It, especially as you mentioned, things are changing so fast. And in two years, there are going to be new jobs that weren't even here or aware of right now. Exactly. And that's when I coach people, I try to tell them, like, I've, I've had this long career of about 20 years. But if you, you know, I'm 52. If I'm going to work till I'm 68, because I'm a workaholic, right? I still have 16 more years of my career. Like, I have no idea what's next for me in terms of, you know, I, I hope 
you know, it's at Midwest Banks that are doing something, but I don't know what 16 years will look like, and I can't map it out. So I have to be open to, okay, it's going to unfold naturally, and I'm going to trust that it's going to be this beautiful story that I'll be able to look back and tell. And so I've got a lot of people that are like, well, I want to do this in two years. You, you, can't, you can't control. There are too many variables at play. Right, right. Um, again, I was thinking, you know, you can have this map and maybe it's better maybe some vision of the long term but maybe better to have short term maps and still be flexible and adjustable for whatever life throws your way right or that cultivation of your strengths so for example my project manager just this morning i talked to her about being a product owner so that pivot like let me give you some experiences to be a product owner and you may like that you're i i know she'll be great at it so can I give experiences to people to help them build their their resume, essentially their portfolio of work, so that then it opens different doors? And I feel like in your strengths, because we talked earlier, what brings people joy? Often it's where our strengths are, because it feels Absolutely. dang good to be good at something. <laughs> Absolutely. And that it goes back to this strengths finder. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's um, the the philosophy is if you cultivate your strengths if if you've got your weaknesses and your strengths and you cultivate your strengths you'll become a guru or if you work on your weaknesses then you keep your strengths where they are and you work on your weaknesses and and then you just get on par with your weaknesses so that's why i spend a lot of time cultivating those strengths so that you get them to you know th- nobody else can be at that level if you're honing those different strengths and there's too much to know anymore so if you are going to be really great at something uh, i think you talked about on the team then find those places that you're not great at and maybe you don't want to be great at which is okay but then plug in those people on your team in your life who can raise that bar but again you're continuing to raise yourself in the skills where you're strongest absolutely um i I, i'm sitting here thinking i mean i know leadership the idea and thought and recommendation on how to be a great leader has changed greatly in the last however many years. If I could look at myself at whenever, you know, in college interning and then when I got out, I would try to tell somebody, interview the company to see if they have good leadership. I don't know that, and I'm just sitting here thinking, man, I, that's, that would be my advice to a young kid find somebody where the company has good leadership so they could do what you're doing for your people. Yeah. And I think and that's exactly why I wanted to go to Midwest Bank Center because I knew Orv and I knew the leader, the vision that he had and how he was going to bring but you're exactly right. Who your colleagues are and who your leaders are can make a complete difference. Um I have coached people to say, well, if there are other aspects of the job, and you don't like the leader, sometimes leaders are temporary, but sometimes you need that experience. So it's not a only go if the leadership is great, but it is absolutely can make or break the joy of your day. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I don't, I want to keep an eye on time because I, something we highlighted at the beginning, which I think is also, if I was young and can go to a company and ask the right questions for leadership, is to talk about the when you start out or maybe you don't start out whatever it is your salary coaching yeah so i learned how that i was really good at salary coaching through focus st louis so we had a cohort about three people uh, 23 people and five people in the span of three months or so were getting new jobs and i said let me help you negotiate your salary so so did you know that you said you learned it so focus st louis you did during the pandemic so it's only been several years since it's 2023 did you know before focus st louis that you were really good at it i didn't but so my my stepfather was head of hr for for an oil company so growing up and starting in sixth grade i had to pay for everything so my allowance covered everything haircuts clothes toiletries everything and i had to negotiate my allowance starting in sixth grade. And so my team was like, that's why you're good at negotiation, because I had to write proposals, like on a typewriter, writing proposals <gasps> for my allowance. And a lot of parents are like, oh, I'm going to make my kid do that. I'm like, don't. It's child abuse. Because <laughs> it was really hard. 
but it gave me um he would also sprinkle tidbits like don't change jobs unless you're getting 20 percent more it's not worth it and so he would give us all these tidbits growing up so i think having his expertise taught me how to do salary negotiation but I also it's really hard because we don't do it every day Mm-mm. and so even when i had to negotiate my salary with my ceo who i've known forever i was so timid and my husband was having to be there like you can do it i don't want to so knowing how hard it is and i've got the compassion so i help people i do this for free because i it's my passion work i love it and I help, I text them like, okay, you're gonna negotiate at 10 a.m. So I'm texting them at 10, you got this, you're a rock star, helping to lift them up. So you said that even when you went to negotiate for yourself, uh, you were very timid. Yeah. But yet you know the tools and know what to do, why? Because he, we're always afraid of how we're gonna make somebody feel. And this is another thing in the last I would say 18 months or so, I've really been digging deep into behavioral economics. So it's the study of psychology and economics and how do people make decisions. And one of the key things is that when you know that if I asked you a question right now, if I said, hey, can you go pick up my daughter from school today? You would be working to be like, okay, how can I do that? That's how your brain, your brain automatically goes into yes. But we, as the people asking a question, think what your natural response is going to be no. And so when I'm asking my CEO, who I know he's already gone to the board for approval for my salary, budget was locked six months ago. And I know I'm asking for something more than what he gave me. I'm terrified to ask him for that. But I know I have to. Why do you have to? Because you should never accept an offer. I tell everybody, Whatever that offer is, don't accept it. Always ask for more. Even if they're giving you a Rolls Royce, ask for more. It doesn't matter how great the package is. It doesn't matter what a dream job it is. Out of the hundreds of people I've coached, only two have not gotten more than the offer. One person who was in her early 40s got $100,000 more than the initial offer. It's real money. I don't even think I can go on in this podcast because I can't think beyond that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So package, comp packages can be complex. And so how do you talk with somebody about like what's what what feels good? And something else that I just learned this weekend was a lot of people look on Glassdoor or um, now with pay transparency more and more, the job listings will have the range. And I just assumed that was locked and loaded. But research has shown that those ranges, the high endpoint is not necessarily the high endpoint. So one um, negotiator was recommending 10% above the highest. So I usually work with the person to say, what feels good in your mouth, right? So if you're coming in and the offer is $100,000 more, I mean, if the offer is 100,000, Asking for 200000 may not feel good in your mouth. Now, again, in the hundreds of people that I've coached, I had one person who asked for double their offer. And then I didn't hear from him for like months. And I was like, oh, no. Because I told him, double's a little bit of a stretch. He got it. So you just don't know what that upper bound is. And that's why you have to ask. Because... If you don't ask to find out what that upper bound is, then you're always going to question, am I making less than the next person? Or, you know, man, I should have asked for more because it's at the job offer where you are in the power seat. Once you're in the role, you're not in the power seat for negotiation of your salary. It's very hard for managers to move salary. So I know you have steps and things around that, but what caught me was when you said he got double his salary he Mm -hmm. are there differences between how men and women approach this and fears and obstacles absolutely and this this was an african-american man and so there's still a wage gap for you know in the country um i think the biggest wage gap is with like mexican women if you look at the the wage gap but men Women are so afraid of the no. They're so afraid to, to, and and not every woman, but my experience is 
they're not trained growing up to ask for what they need necessarily. Making those asks on a regular basis, coming into the room, um, you know, you're a little more timid typically. And, and what I do is I coach about the manager's perspective because I know when I'm hiring people and I've selected you, you're the person I want. And so you are completely in the power seat. And oftentimes, because we don't change jobs all the time, we think, this is the job I want. They're in the power seat. And they're really not. Well, it's funny what you've said there. I was just, my 11-year-old, almost 12-year-old, just not too long ago, took her and her sister to get their haircuts. And they kind of wanted something similar. So we leave. We get home. I don't know if it's that night or the next day. And, and she's very shy, timid, sweet as can be you know would cry if she did made a mistake right so she's like you know i could tell something was wrong she didn't like the way the curtain bangs as they're in the cool no it that they were a little bit too long and she wished they had been shorter i said why didn't you say anything when you were there she asked you what you well i was afraid i didn't want her to get upset or i didn't want to hurt her feelings and i'm like i said so we sat down and i said so there's something you wanted and needed she asked you how you felt about it and you said it was okay but what you really wanted was it to be a little shorter and now we're gone we can't fix it here if we fix it we've got to go somewhere else we've got to pay somebody else you know so now and now you've got all this internal struggle so just within the last month i'm trying to coach my daughter on how to speak up I'm 45 trying to figure this out still how to face we all are speak up and and ask for what you need yeah uh, both among people that are your closest family and then beyond at a company and that's where I think practicing asks that are outside of salary negotiation so there's this wonderful book called influences your superpower and at Zoe Chance she's a professor at Yale one of my bucket list items is to go study under her, you know, um, she's brilliant. But she, t- the, I stumbled on her because a group I was mentoring wanted to learn more about influence. I was like, cool, I, you know, let me read this book. And it's all behavioral economics. So it goes back to how people make decisions and how do you become more influential. And it's really about practicing asking. So she has her grad students go and ask for very random things that ends up from having nothing to one group got a car because they kept trading up and building up. But I think, I think starting with, you know, any kid from, but we don't, we don't think about, okay, I need to practice asking for what I want so that I'm comfortable when I really do need, because we probably all have so many examples of ways that we, we just didn't ask for what we wanted, even if it's at a restaurant. Right, one, not wanting to put somebody else out. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. Exactly. But, and maybe it's not that big of a deal there. But to your point, at some point, being able to ask could be a very big deal and right. getting that practice together. I really like that because when when I was younger, it was basically, you know, kids, you get what you, what is it? You get what you get and don't throw a fit. And And my kids repeat that all the time. And I'm sure you can go overboard and be obnoxious with asking and, and putting yourself first always. Right. But we teach kids, you know, share, just let your younger brother or sister have it. You'll get it eventually. And so we keep teaching them that your needs, wants, and matters are below others. Right. And so if we could, I mean, when we go to the grocery store or anywhere, the restaurant, just make them ask for extra napkins or ketchup or and not the parents do it but ask the kids wow this is really great advice both from and i need to start doing this (laughs) i do too (laughs) it's not not too late everybody Um, it's never too late as you said we've got decades in the business world and to live in general just keep asking make a lot of smaller asks and that's so easy to implement so thank you for that tip I love and those that ask they get better grades, they get more promotions, they get higher pay. Um, so it, you know, it, there's a, a true benefit to those folks that will make take the risk to make the ask. And it's funny because I've long, and I still do this, but I've long joked about how can my husband know what I want or need if I don't tell him? He can't read my mind. And 
even if he was reading my mind, I'm sure that he's not thinking the way I'm thinking. So I'd rather tell him what I want than let him think about what I might want. So yeah. it goes back to like, how could I, how would he know that, I don't know, for my birthday, I just want a day at the spa. I don't need anything crazy big. I just want a relaxing day not to, and he may be thinking, or, or I know somebody soon in my life who's going to have a big birthday. And I know somebody else is like, oh, should we throw them a big surprise party? When in actuality, I don't think that's what that person would want at all. Exactly. So being verbal and open and honest about it, we need to talk about everything that's inside of us. Wow. I didn't. I knew I was going to come and learn a lot today. <laughs> but already, I feel like I'm blown away. I'm like, okay, I want to go practice that right now. Um, I need a nap. Ask for a nap. <laughs> uh, so... All those things were good. We sidestepped just the, or we haven't gotten into yet, the salary coaching. And I'm looking here, you had talked about steps uh, to implement. So women in Focus St. Louis, women in St. Louis, you really started asking to help others. Hey, you're going to get a new job or you're going for a promotion. Can I help you? Right. What made you do that or say that or how'd you... It just came organically. Like I knew how people struggle with asking for more. And I've, I've hired a lot of employees that they take the job offer versus ones that are like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to come work for you unless you give me more money. So it's kind of the experience of being a leader at City, being a leader at Midwest Bank and having had to, to be in those, knowing right. from the employer side what you might be right. thinking and then seeing both those who do and don't how it works and how it plays out so that you could then take those experiences and help guide somebody and give advice. Right. And how energized I got by helping those five people in women in leadership. And I was like, oh, I, I want, I, I need more people to help. And did, so, uh, what's of those five, any one, and you don't have to give specifics necessarily, but any one of those negotiations or how you help them stand out to you or, yeah, so the woman that that got a hundred thousand dollars more than her offer—that I mean, I'll, although the guy that got double his offer, I guess that's my new limit. But how complex that negotiation was, and there's a key thing, especially in the St. Louis area. So it's at, in New York, it is illegal to ask what's your current salary. So a lot mm. of a lot of people in our area. Um, make the mistake of asking what's your current salary, and what that does is that that perpetuates the salary gap. So if I'm only hiring and whatever you're making now, that becomes my new low if I'm hiring you. And I'm so I'm not going to give you a 30% bump. So you have to keep that's one of the key points is do not share your current salary. Mm -hmm. Because so this person through the negotiation, the hiring manager kept asking, what's your current salary? And I'm like, do not. Do how do you how do you respectfully not answer that? So um, I have some scripts that I provide, and one of them is my current employer. You know, requires that salaries confidential, and so I cannot break that confidentiality. I can't share that, and that is really good at shutting down the conversation because it shows that you're ethical because you're going to comply with your current employer's rules, and salaries are confidential. And in fact, in New York, it's illegal. So, you know, more companies need to learn to not ask that. It's, it's many progressive companies know to not make that ask. Hmm. So first, so in that, in that instance where you said an extra 100,000, sounds like one of the key factors to her success, or at least the starting block was she never told them. Right. Her. And it was so hard because it, it goes back to that, you know, if somebody's asking you something, you want to give them the answer. And you want to please them. You want to comply, and and you you want to make sure you're not going to lose the job. And I'm and so lots of conversations, lots of texts. Texts. You've got this. You're, it's going to be okay. They're, there's they want you. You don't have to give them their, your current salary. So what's next after that? So don't give them your current salary. What are the next steps? So what you try to do is they're they're going to want to talk what your salary requirements are, and in behavioral economics, if you, whoever shows their cards first um, loses 
the power. So what you want to do is try to get the company to tell you what their range is, what their budget is. So one way that I would do this today is if somebody approaches me and says, hey, you know, I've got a job where I think you'd be a good fit. I may say, hey, you know, I, I'm not looking to move, but what's the range that, you know, what's your budget? And so the recruiter can give me the budget and then I can say, oh, I'm in budget or I'm out of budget. But that range is okay, but you want it coming from the company first, ideally. Now, people that I coach are in different st stages of getting a job offer. If you've given them what your salary requirements are, that doesn't mean you can't change. And so that's another thing. People think, well, I told them I, was, I wanted to make 100000 but now when I'm thinking and I'm hearing the scope of the job and how many people are reporting to me, this is a lot bigger than what I thought. Or maybe it's not bigger at all, but then you learned, oh, I need to ask for more. That's okay. I've had lots of employees and I've had lots of people I've coached that gave a number at the beginning and then changed what it was. And, and again, they want you. And so they're going to give you what they can. So hopefully, if you haven't shared already and a recruiter or somebody comes to you <clears throat> or that company comes to you, ask them, as you said there, I may or may not, not sure I'm really looking to make a change, but what is the range that they're offering right now or working mm -hmm. within? And that gives you a starting point. Exactly. And then you don't you, you don't really say, you know, I'm very flexible on on the range. I need to I need to know what the scope of the role is before I can tell you what my salary requirements are. It's really about understanding the role, who you're going to be working with, and then once they put an offer on the table, that's when you you there there are various steps once the offer comes in of trying to get the goal is to get your base as high as possible because anything else they can take off or whittle down like bonus. So a lot of people wanna do base and bonus together. Only focus on the base and get it as high as you can. Different negotiator um, experts will tell you different strategies, but that's, I, I don't ever deviate from that. It's, it's like, okay, what do I offer for this or that? Well, I need to know the details of what I'm buying first, right? So I need to know the details of this role I can right. see the range, but I might have to change from that depending on what you tell me I'm in charge of or doing. Exactly. And I need greater clarity. So until you get to the point where you're ready to offer, then we're not going to talk salary. And then that was your third point here. Uh, ask for get the highest base that you can. Mm -hmm. And now you said here, your hope is that they'll come right under your big ask. What do you mean there? So with, um, again, with behavioral economics, you try to, it, it, you're more likely to be successful if you make a big ask and then they say no. So you're trying, and this is what terrifies everybody, you're trying to get to no. So again, using $100,000, um, the offer comes in at 100000 You get the, the number that's comfortable in your mouth. Okay, I'm going to say 120. Somebody may say 140 is comfortable to me because that's what I wanted. So whatever that number is that's comfortable, go out with that number. But what a lot of people may be a little bit more timid and they may say, well, I'm going to ask for 110. No, ask for more. And what you want them to do is tell you, no, they can't do that. Because if they say yes on that base, then you're essentially done with negotiation. And you want to get to the next step of negotiation because you want to get your base as high as they'll go take it. So then let's say you ask for 140 and they come in at 130. So that big ask, they failed to meet your big ask. So now they're feeling like they need to give you something else. So then you come in with non-monetary or near monetary things that are important to you, or maybe the bonus. But let's say um, being offline from 3 to 5 p.m. is really important to me. So you, then you get the 130 and okay, here are three things that are important to me. I want a 15% bonus. I want to be offline from three to five so I can be with my kids and do homework. And I want an extra week of vacation. And they're more likely to give you those things that because they've said no to your big ass because they know they they didn't meet your mark. So that's so the, the goal, <laughs> which is hard is to get exactly. to the no, the get the no on the base. Yeah. And then that sets you up to negotiate the further more things. So then your whole package has more value. Because if you get the yes right away, one, you're locked in, but two, you left something on the table. Absolutely. Which is, as you said, once you're in the door, it's going to be really hard to ever make that up. Yeah. 
One other interesting tidbit is that I did help a nun negotiate her comp package. And for her, money was not important, but time and flexibility were. So I think that's another piece is that a lot of people feel dirty or greedy on talking about money. And so I also talk with them about, well, why is money important? A a children's 529 plan or retiring early, what's behind that why this money is important to you because some people be like well i don't want money's not important to me well money affords certain opportunities so what are those opportunities that you're seeking and then we focus on that so you don't feel you, you don't have that stigma that money carries for for many people it may be more the taste won't be so bad in your mouth when right. you figure out what that number is that right. feels right in your mouth then it's like oh wait no i do i might kids college i gotta save for that now you don't share that with the employer that's the other nuance right like what do you bring to the table to the employer now here's a question so and i've just thought of this one one thought that came up in my mind was you know you're going to work for this employer and you don't share it which i 100 percent understand and agree with and then my brain switched to well is that open and honest and you're gonna you want to build this relationship as an employee as a team member on based on honesty and then you came in i don't i, I know it's silly and an unfair thing but I, i'm sure people probably bring that to you when you coach like is that something that is stuck with them it depends it most and it depends on what that honesty component is not answering and saying i'm not going to tell you is you're still being honest and so that open and transparency it's what's important to be transparent about usually what i tell people is when i've got somebody negotiating i know hey depending on their role i'm going to be a really good negotiator for you and here's my first way to show you that i'm just not going to take it right like i'm going to work hard for you just like i'm going to work hard for myself so that's a great I hadn't thought about it that way. That's a really great way to think about it. A lot of this is mindset, I think, as you said. Yeah. Figure out your why. Um, you know, don't share things. But I don't know. A lot of it is maybe getting your mind around what's holding you back from approaching this way. And that was a really brilliant answer. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is we don't have a lot of experience in this. So I've, I've coached lots of people that said, oh, I never knew I could ask after the offer. And that's the only time you should be asking. And so it's giving people this experience where they may not have had the head of HR, you know, teaching them. And so how can I give more people experience in saying, I've coached over 150 people or how many people it is, because it's about two people a week. And I've coached all these people. And out of all of those, only two didn't get more from after the offer. So that experience that I can bring to give them, you can even Google, should you ask for more after you after you get a job offer? And Google will tell you yes. So Well, if Google says it, it's <laughs> got to right. be, right? That's right. So you mentioned two people a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's 52 weeks in a year. Yeah. How does that work? I mean, are you getting two new people every week or are you working with somebody, two people, okay, it's going to take four weeks to get through this process and now there's another. I mean, how do you have time? I do it on the weekends, some nights, depending on the timing of the salary negotiation. Um, but really, it's it's the joy that I, you know, I get so much joy from doing it. And so it's more about getting people organically through um, because I, I do not want to make a business out of this. This is not my job. Um, and so people building that trust. So people that I coach and I say, I mean, most of them are strangers. And so it's like, make sure you tell your friends and family that I do this and I love it because people are afraid to come to me. And I'm like, you don't understand how much joy this brings me. Well, and so they're afraid to ask you. So work on asking, making the smaller ask. They're probably afraid to ask you because in my head, I would think she's a mom. She's a chief digital officer at a bank. She's right. coach, or, you know, running a team of 19 and she's got to be crazy busy and kids. And yeah. I would just be putting her out. I'll just figure it out on my own. No, but it's my passion. So that's where. So they're, again, maybe because of the way my brain works, they're giving you the opportunity to help and the joy from helping others and yeah and just imagine the ripple effect right like each person i give them the presentation and i say go share this with people so if each person shares it with six people 
that ripple effect. Because now some of the people I've coached are coaching other people in their network. So the presentation you put together, is this something, I mean, the presentation you have, is this something that you put together? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it just by your experiences and you've seen with yeah. the people you've coached what works and you say, boom, 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 here we right. go? Right. And I tweak it every so often, like this weekend when I read it, an article and I was like, oh, I didn't know Glassdoor was low. I didn't know those ranges were low. So as I learn more, I put more in the presentation and then I present to the women in leadership in spring and fall. Um, so I come in and, and give them the spiel. And and then that's another cohort of people that are part of my network to then um, come work with me when the time is right. I, I mean, we're still new in this podcast, but wow uh i'm gonna keep sharing please you're gonna be busier (laughs) i love it at least i hope so i I hope hope you're gonna be busier um anything else along that line so i guess if people want to find you for the coaching Mm -hmm. it's word of mouth it could be linkedin linkedin is the best way to connect with me if you don't have my contact info already i don't do voicemail so (laughs) i do text (laughs) and linkedin Uh, yeah, it's funny how those memes write with uh, don't leave me a message, just text oh. me. <laughs> yeah, the thought of answering the phone or listening to a voicemail is just yeah. tiring. Because, you know, my job eight to five, I'm in, I'm in meetings nonstop. So I can't take a call. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so you're open to you love helping people don't hold back if they need help on negotiating for a new job or a raise. I mean, would yeah, that be the, something too, not just a new job, but a promotion? I do that. It is hard. And so um, I have a process. I tell them, but it's a lot of work for the employee. It's a lot of work for the manager. So you have to partner with the manager. But I do talk with them about how to do it. But even my hands are tied in terms of if somebody came to me today and said, I want to raise, I'd be like, tough luck. There's a time and a process. And let me tell you what it is. And let's work together to get you there. But I can't guarantee it. What about the promotion, though? So somebody is going for a higher level. Yeah. That- so if, if it's internal, the promotion. So like at City, it was set what those percentages were. So a, the best, if you want to grow your salary, the best advice I have to people is change jobs every one to two years. And that's you're going to skyrocket in your salary. And change jobs, change companies. companies. Yeah. Um, does that end up looking bad on a resume anymore? Not at all. No. There's some, um, I would say, more traditional hiring managers that would be like, what's their problem? But I hired a project manager who had 20 different companies as experienced in 20 years. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's a red flag. But she was able to come in and survey the landscape better than anybody because she had all of those different company experiences. So there, I mean, there, it brings a wealth of knowledge. Right. There's that uh, in a lot of places, hire from within or promote from within, which is great and can be great. But there's also that value of experiences, experiences that are varied with different leaders, probably teaching you different things, different teammates, different cultures, different companies. I mean, as you mentioned, city is so different than Midwest Bank. So to have those varied experiences to draw from are probably helpful and not depending on how you position it, not always harmful on a resume. And I think that a lot of people are reluctant to change companies because of some myths that they carry. So that's something else I ask my mentees is what are the myths that you're telling yourself about your job and why you may need to stay? So people may say, well, I get to work from home in this role and I won't be able to work from home in my next role. So that's a myth. You don't know that. Um, Or I have flexibility. Well, guess what? Most companies are giving their employees flexibility. You've built trust and so forth. And so you feel like you've got more flexibility. That doesn't mean that another company won't give that or may not even, you know, I mean, I'm biased, but Midwest Bank Center has a wonderful culture and and flexibility and things like that. If somebody were coming to our team, it would be so different than what they have today, but they may have been reluctant to change jobs because of those myths. I would say just from hearing what you do and how you are as a leader, not only there, but how you're helping others, not even in your role or your job requirements, I would be like, wow, that'd be a great leader. 
to, to work for an environment <laughs> to be in. So if you're out there listening, looking for another place to go and learn and grow yourself, yeah, not that you're hiring right now, but I would look at working with Alexis at Midwest Bank. <laughs> As I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, wow, her kids must uh, have had such an advantage potentially in their careers. I don't know the age of your kids. Oh, I know one is 23, 25. Your stepfather taught you this when you were sixth grader, which you said, I don't advise, but did you either do something similar like that for your kids or have you helped them in their negotiations? So not from an allowance standpoint, they, they'll do chores and jobs and I'll talk with them about, you know, how much an hour they want to make. But my son um, did not go to college and he works in telesales and got a manager position just recently. And so I helped him negotiate his salary and talked with him about ways that if because it didn't meet what he was hoping, how he can move the needle on that. So absolutely, it, it's in my DNA. <laughs> so that's interesting. I think a lot of younger people now are wondering with the landscape of college, do I need to go to college? I'm done with school. I often wonder if they're making high schools harder now to where they kids don't want to go anymore. Uh, you know that that landscape and maybe it's even in your in your negotiations how does not going to college and having that college degree impact the roles you can have salary negotiation any of that on salary negotiation i i've had employees who did not go to college it doesn't matter as long as the role but i think a lot of roles with, that have a lot of growth absolutely have college requirements and i do think that for example just personally my son i think that he's keeping some doors closed by not having that degree. But I totally understand college isn't right for him right now. But I do think when he's 30 or so. But how are colleges going to change? You can learn how to do almost anything on YouTube. So why do I need to go to school for certain things? Right. And, and the costs can be so oh. prohibitive to right. where, I mean, that's what we're facing right now is, does it make sense to our 16-year-old, almost 17-year-olds thinking about that? Do I take what would have been that money not going to student loan debt and try to start a business and wow what a learning environment that would be absolutely and i think that's something that our kids who are 13 and 15 are you know it's it's going to continue evolving i mean you look at the things that are offered like master class and all these things that you can learn um by and certificates that you can get through ivy league schools you know um there's lots of opportunity to get targeted learning to help you progress your career so for those out there who are like okay great i love what she's doing but i don't have a college degree or i'm not sure i'm sure a lot of doors will be closed to me because of that not necessarily a reason to not contact you or to seek the help or to make right. the ask and go further absolutely i think there's so many programs in our community even that are helping people learn certain skills and it's knowing where do you want to go and what's that path to get there what are the resources that we have like launch code is teaching a lot of folks how to do technology so i hired somebody who was in the nonprofit space she went through launch code who taught her how to be a developer she didn't have any development experience but she came referred by somebody that i trust so i wouldn't necessarily hire anybody off the street but the referral makes a huge difference and she has done more than anybody that I've ever had in that role. It's remarkable. Right, it's not always the degrees or the accolades that make the the best, I don't know, employee team member, et cetera. It's probably right. behind that for her, there may be, it's just her grit and her grind and maybe her point of, I wanna show everybody else that I belong here and so she works harder. Well, and she got the skills that she needed through launch code. And so I think that's another piece is whatever you get your degree in, ask anybody who has 20 years of work experience most of them aren't doing what they were doing what they majored in that's so true and the other question kind of i thought where maybe you were going with this is ask them what do i really need to know to be good or successful in this job because if i go to college for four years and i take the history classes and the world religion classes or whatever not that those aren't important by any means but are we really should we be spending that much money and time on four years when you could get a more concentrated degree and or certificate or whatever build those skills set faster quicker and what people actually companies actually want to then yeah. join 
like that. But then to your point, the network, then you got to make sure you have a good network, I would assume. Absolutely. And I think that's what colleges are great for, you know, is that those networks, right? And, and, but what what you study when you're 18, do you know what you want to be when you grow up? Come on. I still don't know what I want to be like in 10 years. So Right. Because I mean, however many years ago, you wouldn't have thought salary negotiation would bring you such joy. And, <laughs> and you said a lot of the leadership stuff, you didn't the real value that you got was from Focus St. Louis, which was only a few years ago. So it's constantly learning and evolving. And I think about leadership as we know it now parenting as we know it now mindset training as we know it now it wasn't there 10 years 15 years 20 years ago so yeah exactly where do you want to be in 18 i don't know tell me all the job opportunities that will be out there in 10 20 years they're going to be so different yeah and as you mentioned earlier in this podcast especially in digital it's the changes i think you said something like the change is the slowest it's going to be right now so we're right. just going to keep seeing it exponentially change and change absolutely and what AI is going to do for us, we can't even wrap our brain around. Do for and maybe against us to an extent. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure with your digital uh, officer brain mindset, there's probably a lot of that too. Like what are, how are people going to use that to break systems or break into systems? Absolutely. Yeah. I, what an amazing story. I mean, going from teacher to then needing flexibility with your son to Citibank, to to the whole teaching, that's really what got you into it, to Citibank, then to Midwest, just by relationships. Sounds like getting involved, Absolutely. putting yourself out there, relationships. Yeah, your network is your power. How yeah. would you, what are your best networking tools or places to get out there and network? So I'm not from St. Louis. So my mom was a leadership giver for United Way, and she brought me to an event, and I met so many people, and that's where I met Orv. Um, and so United Way has a network of 7,000 leadership givers in our area. This, to me, it's the most powerful network in St. Louis. And, and so that network and then Focus St. Louis, their, their network, those are the two places that if you're trying to meet new people that are outside of your industry, that is the best way to tap in um, and reach out to me and I'll bring you to an event. Oh, well, we'll have to talk again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think it's it's also, tr you know, finding those places too where you're passionate about, right? So don't try to yeah. fit if you're not, if there are organizations, but it's really not your passion, it's going to come through. So, and, and talk, what talk to, you talked about skill sets and what you're good at and what you enjoy. You're not going to have joy and you're not going to really partake. And so I'd imagine you found those places that you do enjoy and, and align with your passions. And for me, United Way, what I tell everybody is I approach my charity giving like I approach my retirement. So I'm not investing all of my my retirement into Apple stock. Apple is fantastic, but I don't put all of my stock into Apple. So United Way is like a mutual fund for our community. It gives a safety net. It's reaching people where I didn't even know one of the biggest challenges of those in need is transportation. But they're investing in that. So if I know I'm putting my money for charity in United Way, then I know that they're taking care of that safety net. And then I can pour into education and foster care and these other ways by serving on boards in that space so i i diversify how i give back to the community i like that and, and being the financial person that i am yeah. you're diversifying your how you're helping people both at midwest bank through negotiations on pay you're diversifying and being on boards but then you know being able to fulfill community needs on a broader spectrum by the united way and then not only what you learned from focus st louis but now you go back and you speak to them yeah how often do you, I'm thinking if people are out there and like, I have a group and she should really speak. How often do you speak to other groups? Other groups? Not very often. So Focus and then United Way, I, um, you know, have opportunities to do that. Is that something you're interested in or oh, yeah. you're, okay. I didn't want to like sell, <laughs> sell yeah. you and say, she, she, she speaks. So, and then you're like, I didn't really want to do that. I really want to do more of the coaching, but it sounds no. like yeah, that's a potential it, too. It gives it, you know, how can I make the biggest impact by teaching just a few tidbits to help people? And it goes back to your teaching roots. Yeah. <laughs> so all along, you're a teacher, just I, maybe not in the absolutely. conventional 
uh, set or way. They don't pay enough. Right. <laughs> oh, those oh those teachers, bless them. Yes. Bless them in whatever way you want to bless them. Uh, I couldn't do it. So yeah, it's hard work. Right. It takes a village to help raise our children and teach them the right things. So thankfully, there's some people who can do it and enjoy it. <laughs> That's right. Well, what, if anything, that we did or didn't talk about today or that we didn't get to, uh, I mean, I I feel like we've gotten through so much helpful advice and I could listen to this multiple times and still pick up new things. Anything else that you would want to share that we haven't shared today? I think we've covered quite a bit. You know, um, I would love to get to know more people. I love building my network. and, And so I hope I get to connect with more people through this. Great. And I think one good way to think about it or end it is go back to thinking, how are your wings being clipped? Yeah. That's such a powerful vision. And you, know, you think about wanting to be free and enjoy. And if you're clipped, right. you know, either find the, the, find the people who are going to ask you that and help you and maybe get away from the places that are clipping you. And do that at home too, right? Like, I don't ever want to clean another toilet ever. <laughs> So, you know, how, how, can, how can you delegate in home, too? So yeah. you just fill your cup with joy. And don't feel guilty because, you know, when my kids were little or didn't have kids, I could clean the house and clean the toilets. It wasn't a big deal. I absolutely hate it now. And either the with kids... With teenage boys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with two other girls in the house, and we all have long hair, and that's just another problem, too. So I'm, I'm happy we have that. But I'm at the point where it's give myself the grace to hire or to ask for, make the ask that's more right. help, because it's okay to say, I don't want to do it anymore. If you moved yeah. on to different, maybe bigger, better things. Right. So to find you, I think we earlier said especially on the salary coaching easiest way is probably go through linkedin absolutely any other ways i mean i imagine you're you might be listed on midwest bank's website somewhere you might not because you're more internal but it sounds like linkedin's the best way linkedin's the greatest all right yeah i'm on there a lot well great so everybody well i shouldn't say everybody but i guess everybody reach out if you want help if you want to learn more if you want her to come speak or you just want to build add another great person to your network <laughs> who can help and bring uh, so many learning and new things to your way of thinking and just keep making a lot of smaller asks. That's right. Well, Maybe. I really pray. I didn't know what to expect going into today. You had <laughs> met my husband first. I thought, well, I'm sure it'll be great. And this has been so powerful. So Alexis, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us I'm today. I'm thrilled to be here. Great to meet you. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.